Well, good morning, good morning. Anybody glad to be in God's house today? Let me hear you. Yeah. Well, listen, if you're a, a guest with us today, thank you for being here. I know Pastor Brad already welcomed you. It is a privilege to have you. And hopefully you feel right at home today. And uh, if you didn't make it by one of our guest areas, uh, just a reminder to text us to number 313131. Uh, and you can just text the letters NBBC and uh, we'll get you more information about New Beginnings and ways that you can get uh, connected as well as sending you a gift. Um, and again, just thank you for all of you for being here today. Um, today is gonna be a little bit different um, for us. Uh, we have been in a series called Rhythms of Life and uh, we're gonna take a break from that today uh, just simply because I felt the prompting this week to make a change uh, in what I'm gonna share. Um, all week I've been studying and preparing uh, for uh, our Rhythms of Life series and been thinking through uh, what it means to Sabbath and to rest in, in Christ and, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday working uh, on that sermon and then uh, sometime Thursday, I've just been feeling the stirring all week long, unsettledness of where I was going and, and thoughts about where we are as a culture and nation just kind of rolling around my head. And then I, I went to the office on Thursday and as I pulled up, I felt like the Lord just told me to go sit down in my office, shut the door, read First Peter chapter two. And as I did that, I feel like the Lord gave me the sermon that I'm supposed to preach today. So if it's okay with you, I'm gonna preach the sermon that God gave me versus the one I was planning on. Y'all you okay with that today? All right, so um, let me just share with you my conviction um, today I'm gonna address some burdens that I have in my heart. And I, and I know that today I'm gonna uh, probably offend some of you for different reasons. For some of you, it's because of a political perspective you have on one side of the political aisle and some others are gonna be offended because of some perspectives you have on the other side of the political aisle. And here's what I've learned through the years. I've learned that the more biblical I become, and the more gospel-centric I become, the more I am unable to be as conservative as some of you want me to be and to be as liberal as others of you want me to be. What I've learned is, is that when you're a, a gospel-centered follower of Jesus, that you, in essence, become politically homeless because your allegiances and loyalties have to be to the word of God above all things. Therefore, they're gonna be ideologies and perspectives on one political spectrum. They're gonna differ on the other side and both of them have issues that differ from the scriptures. And the way that we view the world and the way that we respond to the chaos and crisis around us. So this morning, I wanna kind of address this. I wanna talk about divided states. What does it mean for Christians and followers of Jesus? What is a gospel response to a nation that's divided. And I'll just be honest with you, I've, I feel this tension in my heart as I see the world around us. The past few months, I have seen our country become more and more toxic. It seems like uh, everything has become polarized and politicized. And then you have the rhetoric on social media and news outlets and they're becoming increasingly volatile. And it seems like hate is just spewing, like a, like a two liter bottle of Coke that's been shaken. You know what I'm talking about? May ever open up a two, two liter bottle of Coke. I remember as a kid, uh, we'd go to town to get groceries. I lived out in the country. And uh, we, so we'd take the pickup, you'd put the bags in the back of the truck and you would go down all the windy roads. It'd be a hot summer day. And when you got home, you had to let the, the bottles sit for a little bit because if you didn't, there was gonna be Coke everywhere, just spewing all over the place. And here's what I feel like. I feel like the, the, the temperature and the thermometer in our nation right now is, is so um, uh, hostile that at any moment we could explode like a two liter bottle of Coke. And it has just been overwhelming to just listen and hear and to be kind of sucked into this rhetoric and dialogue. And what's crazy is it doesn't matter what the issue is or what the topic is. It could be issues of election. It could be COVID issues. It could be justice issues. It could even be something as small as to wear a mask or not wear a mask. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It's like everything is so polarized and politicized. It doesn't matter what the topic is. It's gonna erupt in hostile, dehumanizing conversations. And then there's the elephant in the room called Donald Trump. Even bringing up his name in here, and some of you were like, your toes just kind of dug in like, okay, where are we going now? So we've come to the place when it comes to our president that we have been so polarized 
There are some in our nation and you, you may be in the room and, 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 and your, your view of Donald Trump is, is that you, you, you have deified him. You, you've elevated him to a level of almost like there's this worship of man. This is the guy, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one who's gonna help sustain our future. And so what we've done is that many of us, we've so deified him that we look to him as if he is the hope of America and the future hope of the world. And let me be honest with you, he's not. Then others of us in the room, in the room we, we might have so demonized this man that we believe he's what's wrong with the world as if before he was elected, everything was good. And so there's nothing he can do, right? And what happens is, is that as, as often as we can, we get online and just spew dehumanizing things about the president. And so on one hand, you have people who look at him like he is the great evil enemy of the world. And then others who look at him like he's the savior of the world. And he's neither. By the way, just let me help you this morning. We have a savior and his name's not Donald Trump. And he's not the hope of America and he's not the hope of the future. He's not our hope at all. And we also have an adversary and an enemy. And guess what? It's not Donald Trump either. And he wants to come to the kill, to steal and destroy. But listen, it's not our president. And what's happened is, is that we're being sucked into the political polarizing nonsense. And let me just be straight and honest with you today. Listen, regardless of what side of the aisle you are on, the responses by and large in our nation have been disgraceful, sinful, ungodly, and I'll just say it, downright evil. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not preaching this sermon today because that's how the world is responding. I'm preaching this today because I've watched how the church has responded and the church has lost its distinction from the world. Is that what I'm seeing right now with our church is that we look no different than the unbelieving world. We have so aligned ourselves with our political ideologies, regardless of what side of the aisle you were on, that we cannot tell believers from non-believers anymore. When I look at the rhetoric that's being expressed from followers of Jesus, let me tell you, I am saddened and I am heartbroken as I'm watching the church of Jesus Christ become more and more and more like the world. We are so passion-filled with our political perspectives in this broken world and culture and response to the chaos around us that we look no different from the rest of society. But I'm mostly heartbroken as I've watched the way that our faith family has responded in these days. I'm not called to be a politician. I'm called to be a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my faithfulness must be to this book right here. And I'm called to pastor and shepherd this body of believers. And this is the wrestling that I've had. Like, do I ignore what's going on around us? Do I just pretend like I don't see the social media post and the volatile conversations? Just ignore that. Do I just kind of, okay, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to just step into something and, and kind of get people all worked up. I, or do I just, just back away and just kind of let things be? Or do I step into it and say, okay, God's called me to say some hard things and to pastor you well and to shepherd you well, which means I've got to disciple you. And for some, and sometimes in the process of discipleship, you've got to confront sin. And here's, here's the conclusion I've come to. Listen to me, church, with, with just cards on the table. I've got to love you enough to say things that might offend you. And at the end of the day, I, listen, I, I, I much, much would rather have the approval of God than the approval of man. And so as I've watched our church's response, I mean, there, there are some really beautiful things that I've seen, but there's also been some things that I've seen in our church that just is disheartening and discouraging. 
It's like there are many of us are, in, are, are getting entrenched into our side of the political spectrum. And it's like those ideologies become superior to everything else in our world and what it is God's called us to do and to be as followers of Jesus. And then I see the lack of commitment overall to the body of Christ. Over the past five minutes, I've just seen continually as the commitment to the body of Christ and to brothers and sisters in Christ begin to, to dwindle and to fade, even to the point of which nonsense, like people stopping me and going, you know, I'm kind of liking this COVID thing because now I can just sit and watch you in my pajamas at home and don't have to be at church. And I can chuckle and laugh at that, but like, really? Or I, 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 pastor, I, I wanna come to church and I wanna exercise my rights to, to worship, but if you're calling me to wear a mask, I'm not coming. And here's the question I have to ask myself. I, I think about what we're seeing in Christianity today. And I just wonder, would the first century church, would the church of Acts even recognize what we call church as church? Like, are you kidding me? Like, like, like this is what it's come down to, our commitment to Christ? It's what it, this is what it is? Deeper passion over our political perspectives than even our commitment to fellowship and to the, the brotherhood of, 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 and sisterhood of, of following Jesus Christ together? Listen, and then there's the question that I keep getting asked over and over again, and some of you might be asking this. Well, listen, pastor, all this is happening right now. Does this mean Jesus is coming back? No. It's like all of a sudden America becomes a thermometer of whether or not Jesus is returning or not. It's like God the Father's like, I guess things are getting worse in America. We better go get them. Really? Our brothers and sisters in China have never known freedom. They've only known suffering and persecution. Our brothers and sisters in Iran and Iraq who lose their lives for following Christ, this is the reality every day. And all of a sudden we get uncomfortable. It's like, you mean I gotta wear a mask to church? Jesus must be coming back. It's a joke. And as I watch the way that we're responding to the, the struggles and the chaos around us. So let me answer the question. Is, does this mean Jesus is coming back? No, no, it doesn't mean Jesus. Jesus has already said he's coming back. The chaos in America has nothing to do with whether or not he is or isn't coming. What I do believe is this. I do believe that what Jesus is doing right now in America is that he is sanctifying his bride. He is purifying his bride. I believe that Jesus is returning and when he returns, he is coming back for his bride, but he's not coming back for some broke down, busted up, unholy bride. He is coming for a church that is radiant, who is holy, who is set apart, who is waiting and longing for the day for the groom to arrive. And so I believe what we're seeing is a sifting. It's the wheat and the tear being separated. And here is what I, I'm fearful of is that many who gather in this place to call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. You are tear among the wheat. And what God is doing right now is he is sifting you. And there needs to be a, an examination of where is my hope resting? Where is my, my hope laying? What is it that I'm looking to for salvation? And am I, am I being faithful as I long for and anticipate my king to return. So this is the heartbeat behind today. So what does it look like in the midst of all of this division for the church to have a gospel response to a nation that's divided? What does that look like? Let me get you to grab your Bibles and go with me to 1 Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter two. I'm gonna give you the context for 1 Peter chapter two. Peter is writing to a group of scattered believers. Why have they been scattered? They have been scattered because of severe persecution. They are being oppressed because they are followers of Jesus. The government is leading the charge. There is no justice. There is no voice. They are being ripped from their homes. They are being fired from their jobs. They are being run out of their communities simply because they belong to Jesus. And so Peter is writing this letter to encourage these persecuted suffering saints. 
to help them understand what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus in the midst of suffering and chaos. So I want you to get the context of that because when you see the context in which Peter writes these words, you cannot look and say, well, Peter doesn't understand what we're facing. Because what we're facing pales in comparison to what these believers are facing. And so what I wanna do this morning is I just wanna give you four, four responses, four ways that we respond. So I'm gonna give you four thoughts here as we jump into this. Here's number one, what do we do in a divided culture? What do we do as a nation who is divided? How do believers respond? Here's number one, we need to remember who we are, where we are, and why we're here. We need to remember who we are where we are and why we're here. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. He says, but you, talking about the church, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, you need to remember who you are. He says it in verse nine, you are a chosen race. You know what this means? Peter is reminding us that in Christ, Jesus has made a new race of humanity that did not exist before. And it is a race that is not defined by your ethnicity or your nationality or the color of your skin or the political party you're a part of. It is a new race of people who are defined by the blood of Jesus. This new race is called followers of Jesus that Jesus has formed us into a new race. He says this new race is also a royal priesthood. What does that mean? It means that we have access to God, that we can go into his presence at any moment, that we have access because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And as, as, as royal priesthood, we don't go into the presence of God to offer sacrifices for our sin. We go and lay ourselves down as living sacrifices because Jesus died for our sin. We are a new race. We are a royal priesthood. Listen to this, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen to this. This means that we are set apart in Jesus. Now look at me, look at me right here. He says, we are the possessions of God. God's people. Who are we? Listen to me, believers. Jesus has formed a new race. He established a new nation. We are the people of God. This means that our citizenship is of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what this means for us. Our identity is not rooted in our race, our ethnicity, our nationality, our social status, or our political party. My identity is rooted in King Jesus. Listen, what this means for us is that I am a Christian before I am an American. And it's not anti-patriotic to say that. My allegiance, your allegiance as the new race of humanity, as the nation, as the kingdom of God on earth. Listen, we have an allegiance to our country, the kingdom of God. I'm a Christian before I'm an American. Listen to this, I am a saved man before I'm a white man because I am no longer defined only by my ethnicity. I am a devoted follower of Jesus before I am a devoted to any political party. My allegiance is to King Jesus and King Jesus alone. And any other allegiances that I have over my allegiance to King Jesus. Listen to me, look at me. The Bible has a word for it, it's called idolatry. Idolatry is any loyalty you have or any hope you place in to anything other than Jesus. Who are we? We are followers of Jesus. We are a new race of humanity. We are the people of God. We are a nation that is representing the kingdom of God on earth. That is who we are. And here's what that means. Listen, your rights as an American, listen to this, must become secondary 
to your responsibilities as a Christian. Because this is who you are, your rights as an American become secondary to your responsibilities as a Christ follower. We must see this. So that's who we are. Where are we? Look what he says in verse 11. He says, beloved, this is another word for church. Beloved, I urge you, listen to this description, as sojourners and exiles. Now, what is a sojourner and an exile? A sojourner and an exile is someone who is living in one land even though they belong to another. Now, that should have responded in an amen right there. We are exiles. Look at me. We are all in this room. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are an immigrant. You're a pilgrim. A pilgrim is someone who is not living in their home, but they're on their way to their home. Because we are a kingdom of priests, because we are a new nation, because we have been made into a new humanity, that means that we are of the kingdom of God, which means while we live in the kingdom of earth, we need to recognize that this world is not our home. And the reason so many of us are polarized and we're living in fear and we don't know what the future is gonna hold is because many of us are living like this is our home. Believer, listen to me. This is not our home. We have no lasting city according to the book of Hebrews here. But we are looking for a greater city, a greater kingdom. Kingdom that's not built by a handful of forefathers. A kingdom whose architect is God himself. Where there is no election and no question who is gonna be on the throne in the next four years. That is our home. What that does for us is that helps us, listen, it untether ourselves from the things of this world that we find security and hope in. It also helps us realize is that we are not to be obsessed with the here and now, but rather what is to come. This is who we are. Listen, this is where we are. Listen, why are we here? Why are we here? Look what he says in verse nine. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that that's the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to me, believer. God has established a new nation on earth called followers of Jesus. We are a royal priesthood. We are God's people. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God, which means we are living in a home that is not ours. But while we're here, we are to represent the home that we are going to, which means that our role and responsibility within society is for us to proclaim the excellencies of the king who is the ruler of our kingdom. That we might declare the excellencies of the one who called me out of the darkness. I don't live like the world. I've been brought out of the world and now I can say to the world, this is the one that has delivered me from the slavery that you're in. So let me just say something really controversial. You ready for this? And I've got both political parties in here, so you don't have to be mad and send an email like, I can't believe you said this. So let me just say this. There's two kind of slogans that you may be familiar with. Um, make America great. Keep America great. Here's another one from the other side. Our best days are still ahead. Can we just help you, believer? God has not redeemed us to make America great again. God has not redeemed us so that we can say here in America, the best days are still ahead. Our goal and our calling is not to make America great. Our goal is to see a world know the greatness of our King Jesus. 
That is why we are here. It is not to say the best days are yet to come, but rather to declare to the world, there is an ancient of days and he is sitting on his throne. And listen, by the way, we're talking about the best days ahead. It's not the days on this earth. It's when Christ comes and consummates his salvation and makes all things new. That's the day that we're living for. And that's the day that we're proclaiming. And that's the message we are to have for a world that's lost. And I know for many of you in this room, regardless of what side of the aisle you're in, there's this sense of frustration because I'm saying these things. And let me tell you, when you tinker with idols, it reveals the heart. Look what he says in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. In other words, don't live like the world, but keep your conduct, listen to this, keep your conduct, your lifestyle honorable among the Gentiles, honorable. So live among the fallen, broken world in a way that's honorable, that's respectable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, listen to this, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What in the world is he saying there? He's reminding us that our calling in a hostile world that is anti-kingdom of God to live in such a way that we reflect our homeland while here on earth. And as the world sees these strange, peculiar people and are offended because the gospel is an offense, they might be offended, but when they see our lifestyle, they go, I don't like them. I don't understand them. But man, there's something about them. I wanna become like them. I wanna become one of them. What he's saying is, is that we live in a world, we are called here as aliens and strangers to live in this strange world in such a way so that when God comes, when Jesus returns, that there will be those who are opposed to the gospel because they watch the peculiar life that we live, they become one of us. They defect from their kingdom and join the kingdom of God. And therefore, when the king returns, they rejoice with us. We gotta remember, and I've gotta keep moving. That's number one. Number two is this. We need to submit to and respect those who are in authority over us. Okay, you ready for the caveat? Even those who don't deserve it. You ready? Submit to and respect those who are in authority over us. Even, everybody say even. Even when they don't deserve it. Look what he says in verse 13 and 14. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or it's uh, to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. He says, be subject to every human institution. Listen, we have the spiritual obligation to submit to governing authorities that God has placed over us. And by the way, according to scripture, there is no government that is placed over us that has not been appointed by God himself. This is a command, not from the state, but from the scriptures, the only time the governing authority should be disobeyed is if they command us to do something that would violate the scriptures. And even in those situations, our resistance should be done with respect and reverence. We don't have to like everything the government does and we actually can as American citizens have the privilege of in a respectful way following procedures and protocol to evoke change within the structure, but we are called to obey. And the only time we are, listen, not called to obey is when the state or the governing authorities command us to do something that would be opposite of what we've been commanded to do by Jesus. And even then we show respect and reverence. Now, now, listen to this, don't, don't miss this. He's saying, listen, we do this for the Lord's sake. Why for the Lord's sake? Because God has appointed the governing authorities over us. So we obey our presidents, 
and our governors and our mayors, and we walk in submission to the wills that they have for us as citizens within their communities, not because we just wanna be good American citizens, but because we are citizens of God's kingdom and for the Lord's sake to represent him well, we obey. You say, what about when it's not fair? I'm glad you brought that up. Look what he says in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Now, this is not a reference to slavery like we would think in American history. He's talking about servants be subject to your masters. This is gonna be more in the lines of closer to what we would think of as employer, employee, or anybody who has been placed in the point of authority over us. And what he's simply saying here is is that the condition or the the character of the person who is over you is not the determining factor of whether or not you honor them, respect them, and submit to them. That even when they're not good leaders, even when they don't have the character that is deserving of submission and respect, we are because of Christ to love them, serve them, respect them, submit to them. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says even, or verse uh, 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 13 rather, he says even the emperor... Look right here for a, minute, for a moment. This would have been one of those gasp moments when the church read this letter because you know who the emperor was in this time? It was a guy by the name of Nero. Hated Christians. This was a bad dude. Nero killed his first wife. History tells us most likely his second wife, but that's not the worst. Nero murdered his own mother to get what he wanted. Nero was the one who burned down Rome and blamed the Christians because there was a building project that he wanted to go forward and he was told no. And Peter is saying, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. Listen, believers. As aliens and strangers, we are to submit to and give honor to those in authority over us, and there is no exemptions for this. It is a matter of, it's George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. If they've been placed in a, in a position of authority over us, we should respect and submit to them as kingdom citizens. We should be a peculiar people in a polarized world. It doesn't mean that we don't speak up against injustice or address harmful legislation. It doesn't mean this, but it does mean that in the midst of our challenging those things, we do so with honor and respect. When addressing changes within the law of the land, listen, we must never neglect the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love. We cannot walk in hatred and volatile language and outburst of anger. With respect, think about the apostles when they challenged in Acts chapter four, they're, they're being threatened for their life and they're told, you don't preach the gospel anymore. And respectfully, Peter and John look to the governing authorities and here's what they said. You've gotta judge whether it's right for you to obey God or disobey God. But as for us, we can't help but to speak about what we've seen and heard. In other words, you're commanding us to do something that is contradictory to what we've already been commanded to do by God. Therefore, we will gladly submit to whatever treatment, torture, imprisonment, beating that's coming to us because of our disobedience, but we're gonna continue to be faithful to Jesus. What were they doing in there? That's called, listen, that's called civil disobedience. It's challenging the system because of our allegiance to Jesus, but doing so in a way that understands that there are always gonna be repercussions and we gladly, willfully submit to those repercussions as we're walking in faithfulness to Jesus. Are you with me? Say amen. That looks different than what we see in our world. But this is what we are called to do and to be. So here's number three. Remove any attitudes. Remove any attitudes and actions that would be harmful to the message of the gospel. How do we live in this divided world? We need to remove the attitudes and actions that would cause people to be turned off to Jesus. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Does anybody understand how much ignorance and how much foolishness is going on in our world right now? 
how do we put an end to that? By living with good conduct, by doing good that we might represent another way of living, another response to the chaos around us, that we would exemplify what it means to walk in the midst of chaos in confidence in a God who reigns above all of it. This is our calling. As people criticized because of following Jesus, we should allow our life to be a testimony of what it really means to be a Christ follower. Look what he goes on to say in verse 16. He says, live as people who are free. Don't miss this. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. He says, live in the freedom you have, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for sin. So let me just give you an example of this. You have as American citizens a freedom of speech. but you cannot use your freedom of speech as a way of justifying speech that is ungodly. to him. So any behaviors, actions, or attitudes that I have that are inconsistent with the gospel, regardless of, of what right it is, I need to repent of that. Any behavior that I have in walking in my freedom as a, an American citizen that directly contradicts the life of a follower of Jesus because of the lordship of Jesus and my slavery to him, I need to repent of those actions and attitudes for the sake of the gospel. Because listen, what the world needs more than my opinion, they need Jesus. I love what Elizabeth Elliot, what does she know? Husband was only martyred because of their faith in Jesus. Here's what she says. Christianity teaches righteousness, not rights. A Christian's concern is what is owed to others, not what is owed to himself. This is the heart of Christianity. Which leads me to verse 17. Look what he says. He summarizes our behavior. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Everyone, honor everyone. What do you know what everyone means? What does everyone mean? Everyone. Are you, are you serious? Regardless of who they are? Regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their race, regardless of their culture, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless, are you telling me regardless of their political party? What? How foreign is that in our nation right now? This is behavior that's not of this world. Honor everyone, which means every person, every human should be given basic human dignity and respect, regardless of what political perspective they have, regardless of who they are. He says, you not only love the brotherhood, he says, you need, to, uh, you need to honor everyone. He says, you also need to love the brotherhood. He says, there is an even higher obligation that we have towards each other than we have the world. And it's not that we don't love the world. His point is, is that you need to especially love other believers. Listen to me. We are bound to followers of Jesus in a way that transcends our race, our nationality, our political ideologies, our socioeconomic status. Listen, love for one another is the evidence that Jesus says will tell the world that we belong to him. So listen to me, as followers of Jesus, I should have a deeper connection and more in common with a follower of Jesus 
from another political party than I should have in common with any unbeliever in my political party. Now, I just stepped in some stuff right there. You know what this means for me? Check this out. I should have a deeper connection and more in common with a believing Middle Easterner living in Iraq than a non-believer living in my neighborhood. Why? Because we are connected at the deepest level. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been brought into the family of God. We are now a part of the greater nation that exists on the planet for making known the glories and the excellencies of God. Therefore, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. If you're a brother in Christ, you're a sister in Christ, you're a part of the family. And any ideologies and politically that we have that differ should come secondary to the thing that we agree on. And that is Christ and him crucified and resurrected for our salvation. We should love the brotherhood. I see more nonsense being spewed from believer to believer over political differences and there is no love in it whatsoever and it's sinful and it's shameful. Listen, and listen, and it belittles Jesus and his gospel. Because it says what Jesus died to bring us together is small in comparison to their political perspectives. Love the brotherhood. Then he says, fear God. What does this mean? Be loyal to him above everything else. Fear God. Submit and be uh, 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 faithful to him regardless. Show your allegiance to him and him alone. Listen, so many of us are living in panic and fear, fear of the coronavirus, fear of, of all of the injustices that are happening and the chaos surrounding it. We are in fear of what's gonna happen in the political world. And listen, what we need to do is lay aside because listen, the things that captivate your heart in regards to fear is what you will most respect and revere. Which is why for many of us, because of our fear of getting sick, we have just shut down life altogether. Because of our fear of maybe the way I know life might be shaken up right now, man, I am in all out panic mode. And most of the, the stuff that we spew is just only a reflection of the thing that we're afraid of. And here's what Peter says. Don't fear Nero, fear God. Respect him, honor him, have allegiance toward him. He needs to be the thing that captures your heart and mind not the trials and the tribulations and the sorrows of this world. And he says this, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Remember who the emperor was? What's his name? Was Nero a good guy or a bad guy? Honor, show respect, human dignity to Nero. You know what's ironic about this phrase here, honor the emperor? Peter is commanding the church to give respect and honor to the man who will eventually take Peter's life. Even in those circumstances. So look at me. You don't have to like who sits in the Oval Office in regards to policies, character, or behavior, but you are called of God to honor and respect them. And I am not only speaking to those who are anti-Trump because in a few months, Trump may not be in the White House and all this respect we're demanding of him today, are we willing to give that to the next guy? Church, I love you, but we do not have the right to verbally assault the governing authorities that God himself has placed over us. He raises kings and he tears them down. Sometimes he points Nebuchadnezzar and other times he points King David. But both men are appointed by God. And this must be the posture of believers. Why? Because we wanna remove anything in our life, our attitudes and actions that would discredit the gospel message of Jesus. Here's the last thing and we're done. Number four is this, we reflect Jesus 
in how we respond to the chaos around us. We need to reflect Jesus and how we respond to the chaos around us. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, for to this you have been called. Look at this, for to this, what is the to this that we have been called? Peter is talking to believers who are suffering for Jesus. They're losing their life. They're being treated unjustly. They're losing their position in the community. They're being put to death. And he says, for to this, you have been called to suffering. You have been called. Look at me, believer. Who do we think we are as Americans to think that we can follow Jesus and it means that we don't have to carry a cross? For to this we have been called. So let me just tell you, there are a lot of promises that Jesus made to us and we should hold on to every single one of those promises. But there are some promises Jesus never made to us. He did not give us the promise that we would have all kinds of freedom and an easy life and wealth and health and all kinds of earthly pleasures and happiness. Jesus never once promised us those things. What Jesus promised is I will never leave you nor forsake you no matter how hard it gets. And I've got a calling on your life. And if my calling leads you into suffering, know that I'm with you in the suffering. We have got to understand that Jesus has placed us where we are for this reason, that we might make him known. And that means that we have a calling for our life. And listen to what he says here, the context. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Jesus exemplifies what it means to suffer, what it means to be treated unjustly, what it means to live in a world of chaos where hatred and hostility is aimed towards you. Jesus entered into that suffering willfully for you. And what he's done for you is he has left for you an example of when you face that, this is what it looks like. Look what he says here. Listen to the description that Jesus, of what Jesus received. He says, he committed himself no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Here's what he's saying. Jesus committed no sin and yet he was treated like a sinner. Jesus was treated unjustly. Even though no deceit was found in his mouth, he was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When Jesus suffered, he did not threaten. Let me just kind of illustrate this for you. When Jesus was spoken to and spoken of and spoken about in a way that was disrespectful and unkind and hurtful and degrading, Jesus did not return that with his own words that were degrading and hurtful and harmful. And when Jesus was reviled, he didn't threaten. What does that mean? When Jesus' rights were taken away, he didn't hang the banner up that said, come and take it. Believer, listen to me. And, and listen, I know, I know these days are difficult, but I got one question for you. In light of what Peter is describing here that our Jesus went through, who do we think we are. My rights, my health, my safety, my security, my perspective, my well-being. Who do we think we are? Listen, I think that American Christianity is a laughing stock to the rest of the Christians around the world. We are so entitled and we, at the same time we're entitled, we're looking to a cross and we're proclaiming that we trust in a message that is rooted in Jesus's rights were stripped away. He was treated unjustly. He was harmed and persecuted and beaten and whipped and willfully endured all of that for the glory of God. And then we look at the cross and say, I hold to that, but I wanna make sure that my security and my comfort and my life is sustained the way I want it. How can we look at the cross and willfully choose to walk like this? There must be a shift in our perspective to say, I'm gonna look to Jesus and I'm gonna pattern my life after Jesus. And in this world, in the midst of chaos, I'm gonna model what this looks like. And here's the end result of it. Here it is, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Listen to me, believer. Jesus was not just treated unjustly. He was treated unjustly for me. 
He was treated unjustly for me. By his wounds, I have been healed. Verse 25, look at this. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You know what this means? That when we look to Jesus as the model and we strive to reflect him and how we respond to the chaos. We are looking to the cross and we are recognizing what Jesus endured for me. He hung, he bled, he died. He was not a sinner, but he was treated like a sinner because I am a sinner and in him, he has forgiven my sin. He has forgiven me. He has raised me to life. Now I can live a life of righteousness, not because I'm righteous, but because he's righteous. And now I'm gonna look to him and say, God, if you, because Jesus suffered for me, are calling me into suffering, then I wanna look in this world just like Jesus because I also can remember I was once a sheep wandering without a shepherd, but now I have been brought back to the great shepherd, which means that no matter where I go, my shepherd is with me. He leads me and he guides me. His staff protects me. He takes me to the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. There's no wolf that can conquer me because my shepherd is near. And not only is he my shepherd, he is also the overseer of my soul, which means any fear that I have of coronavirus, any fear that I have over a political election, any fear that I might have over an economic downfall, here's what I know. The, the keeper of my soul, the overseer of my life, he is reigning above it all. And there is no Trump, there is no Nero, there is no governor, there is nothing that I face that is greater than the one who is the overseer of my soul. Take my life, take the money, take the health, take it all. I've got Jesus and I don't have to live in fear. Listen, this is what the world needs. They need to see followers of Jesus in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the vision saying, I am focused on Jesus. I am confident in him. And when they look at us and say, why are you so different? We can say, I was once a sheep wandering, but I have been returned to the good shepherd and he is the overseer of my soul. So there is nothing coronavirus can take from me. There is nothing a political party can take from me. There is nothing that an election can determine for me because I have a king who reigns above it all. And when the world sees that, when the world sees that, revival can happen. You say, will America return? I don't know. And let me just be honest, I don't care. Because when that is the aim, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because all that matters is King Jesus. How do we respond to a nation divided? Remember who you are, where you are, why you are here. Respect and honor every person and authority over your life. Remove anything in your life that would be a hindrance to the gospel and reflect Jesus and how you respond to the chaos. I'm gonna take a moment and let's respond. We're gonna stand, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I just wanna sing for a moment. And then we're gonna get out of here. And I know you're wearing masks and it's uncomfortable and man, but listen, this is a moment we've got to just turn our eyes upon Jesus and recognize that all of this is greater. He is greater than all of this. And he is worthy of our worship. So let's just take a moment. And maybe for some of you, when you leave, you, you, you probably wrestling with, man, do I know Jesus? And if you don't, then I want you to know that you can trust him today. Confess your sin, repent. Others of you need to repent of idol worship that has led you to ungodliness in the way that you're responding to the world around you. Let's just focus our eyes on Jesus for a moment. Father, I love you. May you be exalted in this place. We thank you, Lord. And I know this is a hard word to hear, but God is so needed.